This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, first of all, everyone's going to have to excuse me because I wrote this on Motzei Shabbos when I was on the plane um, to Eretz Yisrael, and I wasn't exactly in my right mind the entire time because I don't sleep like during the time there. So it did take me a little bit. So there might be some things that are totally out of order. I tried editing it twice, but I still don't think I edited it well. So let's start from the beginning. Let's see what we can do over here. We have two psukim that we're going to work with today. Number one is Bayes Tezayin. Park Bayes Pasuk Tezayin. It says, The Kohen of Midian. Doesn't mention the name of Yisro. The Kohen of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and they drew water. But to Malena Esarahaltim, they filled up the troughs. I think that's the right word for it. I don't have a great word for it. But they filled it up, Lahashko Sonavian, in order to give water to the sheep of their father. So that's what the daughters did. In Pasuket Zion, it says, Vayavoa Roim, the shepherds came, Vayagorshum. It doesn't say who they were, but they got rid of them. They drove them out. And the problem is, if you look at the Pesach right here, Vayigorishum is in masculine term, not in feminine term. It says a mem at the end, not a nun. Vayaka Moshe Vayoshi'un. Moshe Rabbeinu got up and saved them. Yoshi'un is in feminine. Okay? And Vayashk es Tsonam, and he gave to drink their sheep. And again, Sonam is masculine again. So you've got this real issue over here of, number one, what exactly happened here? Why were the shepherds so mad? Why is Yisro unnamed? And then this masculine, then feminine, and then masculine. What is going on with these two come over here? So first, I'm going to tell you the measures. Sefer Yasher tells the first thing. In the year 2435, remember 2448 is when they ended up leaving. It's around 2435. Moshe Rabbin was 67 years old. He left the land of Kush after being king there for many years, maybe even 40 years. He had just left the land of Kush. He was still afraid to return to Mitzrayim. He knew that he was still wanted by the Paro, whichever Paro this was at the time, and nonetheless, it was still the basic same kingdom, and therefore because of that, he went to Midian. He came to a very large well of water, thinking that that's what the Avos did. Avram went there when he sent Eliezer of Avram. Yitzchak made wells in the Pelishim. Yaakov ended up doing that when he went to Lavan, right? It was there, right, that he met the daughters of Yisro and chased away the oppressors, the people that were out there. They ran home and told their father slash grandfathers, Machlokas, whether it's the father or the grandfather of the story, what happened to them. They told, he told them to invite Moshe back so he could eat with them. Moshe told him his story. He had run away from Mitzrayim. He had been the king of Cush. And now he was running away from Cush. And Ruel thought Moshe Rabbeinu was a liar. He thought that he had this, again, we don't know if it's the father or the grandfather, but thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was a liar. He was a fugitive from Cush. He must have done something terrible. Therefore, he thought, because he was lying, we'll throw him in jail, threw him in a large pit which I guess back then was their jail, right? Put him inside there, thinking he would help Kush. He let Kush know that this has happened and then promptly forgot about Moshe Rabbeinu being in that pit. Sipora fed him and gave him water while he was in the pit for the next seven or ten years. Sefer Yasha says ten years. Midrash Vayosha says seven years. And he would have died there had Sipora not done this. Eventually, Sipora mentioned that to Yisro slash Ruel. And he's like, well, he's for sure dead by now. And they went and they checked. They saw that he was still alive, miraculously. Obviously, Sipora was there the entire time, right? He was amazed and thought he was a great magician, offered him Sipora's hand in marriage. 
marriage, and I have no doubt that that first meal together was very awkward. <laughs> so we were in jail for 10 years and then took him back and everything was fine. The Shach continues, says that Ru'ul knew exactly who this was when he first met him. When he first met the guy, he said, wait, an Egyptian man saved you? Because that's what they said. They said an Egyptian man saved us. An Egyptian man saved you? I know the Egyptians. I lived among the Egyptians. That's not what they do. They were not really doing that. There's no way they actually helped you. There's no way that actually did. So he said, it must be the one man among the Jews who acted like an Egyptian, meaning he wore Egyptian clothes, he grew up in the palace, but he couldn't, he wasn't really Egyptian. That's the man who must have helped you. Because remember, he was there at the time when Moshe Rabbeinu was still in Mitzrayim. He was there when Moshe Rabbeinu was chased away and said, that guy must be the same Moshe that was drawn out, drove out of Mitzrayim earlier. It must be the same exact person. Just like he fought for the people then, and he killed an Egyptian man then, he was willing to kick out the shepherds here. This is the way of Moshe Rabbeinu. This is the type of person he is. It's clear that that's that. And that's when he told him he should come and eat with us. He didn't throw him in jail according to that medrash. But either way, the shot says exactly that. But why hiding the name of the Kohen? The Ramban says that he purposely hides the name because this is how he was known to everyone. He was known to everyone as the Kohen of Midian. Not as Yisro, not as Ruel, not as Chovav or Yeser or any of the other names that he had. He was known as the Kohen of Midian itself. He was known, says the Ramban, as Yisro or Chovav after he converted. But right now he's known as Kohen Midian itself and we actually don't know his non-Jewish name. Yeah, Tate. I mean, you have a, that, that example of Malkitzedek, right? Malkitzedek, Malak Shalem, 100%. He was shame and yet known as Malkitzedek. Shalom, yeah. So it's a good question. I don't know when exactly he would have left. If he left exactly that point, right, when he gave the eights and he said, don't kill the Jews, it's possible, or don't throw the babies inside the water. It's possible, you're right, that he never met Moshe Rabbeinu. Maybe he just heard the stories himself. It could be that he left a little bit later after that point. It was just that, that that's the beginning of his downfall when he said, don't kill. Because remember, Yisro might have also been around to say, Get, um, the advice of give him the coal versus the jewel for Moshe Rabbeinu to have. So I don't know. I don't know when Yisro left. I'm it could have been a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. That's when we know the whole story. But this is as right now. It's not there, but and that's that. I refer. I refer you back to six years ago. Kokinos came. That's the answer, but that's not for right now. As for six years ago, I'm going to refer you back to that sharing and tell you to go through it. But okay, when you get through it, then come back to me and I'll test you on it, and then afterward we'll talk. <laughs> that's it. It's Kokinos. I, there's no other word other than Kokinos. Probably the second to best name in all of Shas, in all of Chumash, in all of Midrashim. That's, that's not a. That's not a gorilla. Kokinos. That's, that's extremely racist. No. <laughs> that's, that's, that's beyond the most racist thing anybody's ever said on camera. So as long as you're okay with that, that yeah. No, it is not. But either way, regardless, the daughters ran to him first. They're the ones that told their father, etc. That's how the Rambam puts it. They told their father that, that who was a Kohen, who was always doing his duty in the temple. Maybe his father wasn't even there because of that, and therefore Reuel was there, the grandfather. I don't know. I don't know what ended up happening with that. Regardless, that's how the Rambam puts it. Fine. Rashi says a little bit differently. He says that Yisra was known as the Kohen Midian because he was their Rav. He used that word. He uses the word Rav. He doesn't use anything else, not as a Kohen or a, but a Rav itself, which could be translated, I would think it would be translated as a spiritual leader. We'll see how Rashi's translated other fortune, but that's that. At this point, he decided to step away, says Rashi, from worshiping idols. He was no longer into the idol business. He didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. So they excommunicated him. They banned him from their community. And that's why the shepherds pushed around the daughters, why his daughters were taking care of the sheep. Remember, Lovin had that because he was super poor and he didn't have any sons. Yisro, because no 
nobody would help him because he was excommunicated from everybody else. And that's why they were upset because they were upset at their father for losing his faith, that he was no longer part of the religion. So therefore, they got rid of him completely. The Mizrahi in the Gurari says, it might be, this is the idea is, that, that this is the reason why and how Rashi knows that he lost his job in a bad way because otherwise... How could anyone have done this to the priest's daughters? That's not normal to happen. Like, maybe they were upset at him for some other reason, but he's the priest of Midian. You don't do that to the daughters. The fact that this happened and that the Rowan kicked them out must be that he no longer was the priest of Midian. He was the well-known priest of Midian who went off the derech, and because of that, they got super upset at him, right? And they didn't want to have anything to do with him. That's the idea. And that's why Rashi calls him a Rav, says the Mizrahi in the Gorari, not a Komer, not a priest, that's the word you'd normally use, but a Rav, because although he does call Yisro a Komer and Parshish Pinchas, right now he no longer deserves a name that's degrading. Komer is an Avodah priest. A Rav is a leader priest, a guy who decided that this is not the right thing for me. So that's the way Rashi puts it. He's a Rav, not a Komer. He decided to go off, and that's the idea behind it. The Chizkuni says, this obviously makes sense why the daughters were taking care of the sheep. There were no sons, but Nobody else would help the priest. Nobody help, else would help him. It must be they were completely gone and that's that. Miamloi says it a little bit differently and I don't really get it because Miamloi is quoting the shot, but I didn't see it in the shot. Maybe it was somewhere else and I don't, I, I just couldn't find it. But he says that he basically retired. He told everybody, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. I'm out. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Not, and he didn't tell everybody directly they didn't believe in the idols, but they noticed that he wasn't going to church on Sunday anymore. So once they saw that he retired and he no longer, it would be like the rabbi emeritus of a shoal who somehow just misses Shabbos davening. And everybody's like, what's going on? Why is he missing Shabbos davening? And they went up to him and individuals eventually found out for him that he didn't really believe in everything he was doing. And because of that, they said, all right, so let's get rid of him completely. He did quit. He got rid of all of the gold and silver, which every priest had because people would donate and whatever it is. He gave all their donations back. So Yisra was not only excommunicated from the people and the people were super angry at him. Not only that, but he was poor as dirt because he gave up everything that he had gotten. He didn't want to have benefit from any of the money that he had gotten from the Avodah Zara that he had been working for for the last two months, who knows how many years, maybe 15, 20, 30 years, where he didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. And that's why no one came to his help to help, house to help him. Nobody cleaned anything. And he had seven daughters. And that's why he couldn't marry them off. It's interesting to have seven daughters and not have married them off at that time. Think about it. And most people were married by the age of 12 back then. Unless they were all super young, which is which is strange to say, Yisrael was an older man, it seems like no one would marry into the family, which was a lucky thing for Tzipora. She got to marry Moshe Rabbeinu because of it. And one of his other daughters, does anybody know? One of his other daughters married? It's a hard one. This is an actual hard one. Not Aaron, but Elazar ben Aaron HaKohen. She was the mother of Pinchas. She's the unnamed sister of Tsipora, the other daughter of Yisro. We have no idea when they got married, but at some point that other daughter did marry Elazar and have Pinchas. And we know that Pinchas was born from there. Rabbi Victor Miller says that there's no doubt in due to the fact that Avram Avinu's influence was there, the father of Midian. Avram Avinu was around. He is the father of Midian. And Midian might be the father of Yisro himself. There's no question that the claims of monotheism, the ringing of monotheism was in their ears and they believed in it. No doubt that that destroyed their loyalty loyalties to idolatry, because they felt that Avraminu was there, and that Avraminu still did something to make them feel this way. So even though they they thought that there's something to Avodah Zarah, they had this feeling inside that something was wrong. Yeah? So, two things. One, how is Elazar able to marry a Yoris? 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He wasn't a coin at the time. So it was beforehand. It had to be beforehand, and yeah. Then, um, is there, is there a, a relationship between Yisrael and Avram? Yeah. It seems like they both... Again, the, the way I just said, I just said it really quickly. Yeah. Yisrael is probably the son or grandson of Midian, and Midian is the son of Avram, Vinu, and Keturah. Avram, Vinu, and Keturah had six kids at the end of the life, at the end of Parshish Chayisara, Midian, Midan, Yishbak, Shuach, etc. So one of them is Midian. So Yisrael is more than likely the great-grandson or grandson of Avram, Vinu. And if that's so, then we have an even bigger thing, because one of the sons of Yisro that was born after all this was Balak, which makes a lot of sense. Balak ben Sipor, remember his daughter's name is Sipora because she was a Giorist. Sipor is because he was a Ger. So it makes sense that he ended up converting almost, you know, like in some way, he ended up converting, becoming this guy. Balak never took it. He never wanted to do it. So when Moab was looking for a new king, they went to Balak of Midian and said, you grew up with Moshe Rabbeinu. Tell us what to do. And they made him king. That's a straight out Rashi, but it doesn't say that Balak was the son of Yisro, etc. But those, those it's interesting. Kids were set down to the east. Like There's the east. Midian. Is this far enough east? Well, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't have to be far enough east. It went to Medina. That's what Targumunkula said. We spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Medina. So Medina is, you know, somewhat in that area, Saudi Arabia. Mecca. You know, if that's Mecca, that's the idea behind it, as opposed to Yerushalayim. So the Ibn Ezra says something interesting. He says, the word Kohen throughout Tanakh refers to someone who serves a Kaddish Baruch who serves idols. One of the two. The Chihanu Li, right? The Kohen Hashem. That always refers to a priest of some sort, like a religious priest. Yisro was a Kohen of a Kaddish Baruch at this moment. So it was an appropriate title, says the Ibn Ezra. So we see here that at this point, according to the Ibn Ezra, he believed in Hashem. Rashi said nothing. Rashi did not say he believed in a Kaddish Baruch Hu, he just said he didn't believe in idols. But the Ibn Ezra says, no, he believed in Hashem. He was a pure Kohen of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. he believed in a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Sif Sekhami points out that, not really, he wasn't a believer in Hashem yet, but he wasn't a believer in idols. He was sort of like in between. You know, that's the idea. He didn't believe in Hashem until he saw Kriyas Yamsuf, until he had Mohammed Samalik in his head. That's what Parshish Yisro says, Rashi says in the very beginning. But he didn't believe in idols. The Mechilta says he believed in every idol in the world. He had some relationship with every idol in the world. So it's likely, like, he was going from this idol to that idol and that idol, but he wasn't part of this idolatry right now, but he wasn't part of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's world at this point. It also makes sense. You guys all, do you know the Medrash, the Targum Yonason mentions it, that Gershom wasn't allowed to get a bris milah, right? <laughs> he didn't get a bris milah because Yisro wouldn't allow it to happen. Clearly, he wasn't a believer in Hashem at that point. He was clearly an Ovid and that's why Gershom didn't get the bris. So I would say that it makes sense he was going from place to place, unlike the Ibn Ezra, right? That's how the Mechilta puts it, the Sifzachamim. It's likely that way. The Balaturim also says that Yisro was a priest to Avodazar straight out. Moshe was only willing to marry his daughter because he knew that he would eventually convert to Judaism. And Moshe Rabbeinu was so assured in himself that he would be able to convince him to convert to Judaism. He said, I'm not going to have any problem whatsoever. However, you can't go into the house of an idol worshiper and go unscathed. So I know this is going to take you into a Navi, you know, like wormhole, and I apologize for this. But if anybody remembers at the end of Shoftim, right, there's Pesel Micha, the idol of Micha. Micha was a tremendous machnas orech. He used to bring guests into his house all the time. He had an idol that he brought out from Mitzrayim, maybe, or he got from his mother with the 1,100 silver pieces. He spent 200 silver pieces and made this idol. Shevet Dun, when they were going up to Laish to take over part of the land up north and northeast, right, they passed by Micha's house. They stole it from him. There was a levy in that house. The levy's name was Yonason ben Gershom ben Menashe. And if you look at any Navi, you'll see that Menashe has the Nun Talui Ba'omid. It's like hanging up a little bit, so it reads Yonas and Ben Gershom Ben Moshe with a little nun up there, and because I'll say that it's hiding the fact that it was Moshe's grandson who 
was the Levi, the Kohen, the priest of this idol, misunderstanding the line of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Moshe Rabbeinu said, if you're poor, then do avoda shezaralo, do strange work. He thought it meant you can do avoda zara straight out. So he went out and started worshiping idols. We hide it by calling him Menashe, but really he is Moshe Rabbeinu with the Nun Talib Omed. And there's a whole thing about what that is. It's likely this is why. Because Moshe Rabbeinu allowed himself to go into a house that had a Vodazara in it, says the Balaturim, even though he wasn't affected by it. Everyone is affected by being in the presence of such a Vodazara, and therefore his grandson was affected. At some point it came out, and that happens to anyone. You might think you're going to come out unscathed, and it might be true. You might be able to survive such a thing, but not everybody does, and it's within you, and at some point that might come out. That's the idea that the Balaturim says over here, which is a Crazy, crazy idea. Now, again, it's clear the Ramban holds, like the Sifzeh Chachamim, the Balaturim, that he is a current Avodah guy. Not now believing in Hashem like the Ibn Ezra, but an actual priest, just not to the Avodah that they believed in at the time in Midian. He was a priest of something else. The idea behind it, that's the idea. Targum Yonasan also calls Kohen an Onis. Onis means donkey. In Aramaic, apparently, I've never seen it that way, but it's probably called that way because he was still an idol worshiper. He's called a, a, a donkey, like literally a terrible person of what he was doing because he was still involved in Avodah The Rokeach also says he was an Avodah He was a priest of Avodah and there's a Torah Shlema number 133 that goes into this at length. But you have a bunch of Rishonim. So again, you have the Ibn Ezra saying, no, 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 he was good. You have every other Rishon of the world saying he was bad. You have Rashi, which is very unclear, calling him a Rav, but not a Comer, but I don't know what exactly Rashi is trying to say. I'm not sure exactly what it is. The Chassam Sofer even says like what Mazel he believed in. All the people in Egypt believed in the Mazel of Tle. That's why they all worshipped sheep. That was the Mazel of Tle. That's why he specifically had to be taken out from Mitzrayim during the month of Nisan, which is the Mazel of Tle, why they had to sacrifice a sheep or a goat in order to knock out that Mazel. Now Yisrael started worshipping the Avodah of Shor, Taurus, right? That, that that mazel, that constellation, started getting involved in that, and that's why he's also known as being Mephatim Agolim Lavodazar. He fattened the calves to Avodazar and Parshish Pinchas and mentions that Yisro was part of the people who was part of Putiel. That's how the Chassam Sofer puts it. So, I, I, I'm not going to go into any further, but like, there's a Torah Shlem over here, number 135. He specifically wanted to find somebody who was a priest, Moshe, and wanted to find a family of priests that he could marry into, so they would have no Shibud Taparo. It's a really crazy Torah Shlem, but I'm going to stop. I'm not going to go into that whatsoever. However, you should know that Tzedah Lederach, this is, Tzedah Lederach is, is, what's his name? Rabbi Cheskel, um, Rabbi Cheskel Landau, the, the Nodabi Huda. He says that there's no way he didn't have Amuna. There's no way that Yisro did not believe in God at this time. He's like the Ibn Ezra all the way through. He only came to Moshe later after Kriyas Yamsu because he was amazed and wanted to join Claudius all the time. But for sure he understood that God existed. There's no question because he says there's no way Moshe would have married into the family. I mean, it's an obvious question, but why would you marry into a family of pure Avodah if at the time he was Avodah Zarah? Targum Yonas and Benuzil, notwithstanding that he allowed that because of Gershom, etc., it doesn't make any sense. For sure, he believed in a Kaddish Baruch. And that's that. Shach says, this might be why, hold on one second, Dave, this might be why he's known by, not known by any name at the time. He was still a non-Jew and not yet a Ger. Maybe that's the idea why. The seven names only came in later. So that's a hint from the Pusik that he wasn't yet believing in Hashem. That's how the Shach puts it. Maybe this is what Rashi means in Eo, Pargyud based Pusik Yutes, which he says over there that Yisra was the star of Midian. Doesn't necessarily mean a spiritual role, right? Something like that. Rashi in Parsh Vayigash says, Rak Admasa Koanim. He says the word Koan means a leader 
leader and not necessarily a priest. It could, again, it could be Rashi Lishitel, so I'm not sure exactly what he would be. Targum Klos also says he was a rabba, a leader. So it could be that that's what Rashi means here, that Barbanel offers both ideas. So I'm not positive like what the shot in Rashi is, but at least we have two clear drachim from the Rishonim. What Rashi says, I'm not positive. Yeah, Dave, what's up? You're right, it could be. I, I, I'm just saying what the Rishonim say. Meaning, could he believe in a Kaddish Baruch and think that the, the deity, the way to get close to God is through this little, you know, talisman or whatever it is, right? Like Shituf, what we call Shituf, like a partnership between the two, it's possible. I, I guess the idea that Ibn Ezra wants to say is that no, he was a pure Kohen to a Kaddish Baruch And that's why he wanted to call it the word Kohen, while everybody else is saying no, he clearly believed in a Vodazara because of the other Midrashim that were around there, the Balatur and the Ramban, etc. I don't have a great answer for that. But maybe Rashi's like Mamish in the middle. Like you're saying, maybe he sort of believed in a Kaddish Baruch but he also believed there were other ways of getting a hold of him. So maybe there was that, and then finally he got. A, I don't know. The word Rav really throws me off. Like the way Rashi says it really throws me off. I'm sorry. Years, years ago, at least thirty years ago, maybe longer. But at that point, when he left, I thought because he came to the conclusion. The conclusion? No, he wanted to fight for the Jews. He didn't think it was right what he was doing to the Jews. I'm saying I thought that he would be able to read the stars and he understood. That's not where the only place where it says that Yisro actually converted came through was later, but not this. He did have the staff. You know, he did understand that the staff of Yosef at Zadok was something special. That's the Mata, you know, and eventually became the sword in the stone because he stuck it in the ground and only Moshe Rabbeinu was able to pick it out and, like, he saw the Shemos on it, etc. Like, there is something to it. I, I know he knew something, but I don't think he did that. I'm sorry? He was kicked out. He was kicked out because he kept fighting for the Jews and they didn't want that. So that was for sure, or because of what he did with Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what I was arguing with Shlomo before. But yeah, Avi. Could you say that, like, Rashi means that he was a rug? Like... Maybe the people didn't like him because he was trying to teach them things that they didn't want to hear. Yeah, for sure. Rabbis don't do well in most places. I hear that. <laughs> that very well could be. I just find it, I, I, yeah, I just find it weird that he uses the word rough. It's just a weird word to use. Rabba is the word used by Targumunculus. It's just a weird word. Yeah, it's possible. Right? It's possible that that's referring to over there. Coin own is what it says by Potiphar. He was the coin own. And it says Rabba de own. Right? That's how Targumunculus puts it. So it could be that it's just a leader of some sort. And that, that, again, that could be the conclusion from Rashi. It's just a weird thing. It really is a weird thing altogether. You know there's a Medjachafetz that says over here that just like when Rivka Yemenu came to the well and the waters rose up to greet her, the water of this well rose up to greet Moshe Rabbeinu. Is that unbelievable? And there he was able to just pour it out for everybody. I don't know, there's no real diak in the Pasuk for this Medrash, but that's what the Medrash HaKhefet says. Miamloi says, it's the same well, the same well that Yaakov Avinu found Rachel Imenu. It's the same well that Moshe Rabbeinu came to at that time and found the daughters of Tzipporah. And this, the daughter I don't know how that's possible. One is in Aram and one is in Midian. And Aram and Midian are not similar to one another. Aram Tsova is more than likely in Syria, and Midian is mo- more than likely nor- like southern Iraq and northern Saudi Arabia, possibly even sou- southern Saudi Arabia. Because remember, he was in Kush and went to this area. They didn't have boats that could travel across the Red Sea back then, which meant he had to go through Mitzrayim to get there. A lot of weird things over here. I'm not exactly sure what it means by that being the same well, or where Midian is in the first place. But I felt like I have to say it, because it is brought down by the Rishonim, and at least by the Midrashim, that something's over here. Okay, shock wonders. Why not call these women, right, the daughters of Yisro, why not call them Roos? Rachel was a roa. Rachel, I mean, it was a roa, a roa. She was a shepherd, a shepherdess, right? Why not call these women roas? That's the more, I mean, they're seven daughters. They were shepherding the sheep. So why not call them that? So he says, 
there's no need for all seven of them to be there if they were just shepherds. Even if women cannot do the same job as men back then, you don't need seven of them. Why would all seven have been necessary? It must be, he says, that the reason why there are seven is because you needed seven to draw the water. He says two were needed to actually make sure the sheep would stay in place. Two others were needed to draw the water. Two others were needed to pour the water in the troughs. And one stayed home with their father to make sure, the grandfather, to make sure everything was okay over there. Apparently that was Tsipora, says the Shach. So although Yisro had seven daughters, he says only six of them were present at the well, and the only one that wasn't at the well was the one that Moshe Rabbeinu eventually married, Tsipora. So, super interesting, I'm sorry? She's not, he's not born yet. Just like Lavan only had boys after Yaakov Avinu came, so to Yisro only had a boy after Moshe Rabbeinu came. Or he was too young. That would be behind it. So he, he hinted to the words Vatavona, Vatilena, Vatimalena. There's three different jobs over here. This is interesting though, because afterward, the daughter said, well, we can't ask him to come. He's not going to repay his chesed by us giving him a chesed back. In other words, he did it clearly because he's a big tzaddik. Big tzaddikim don't take rewards for what they've done. So he's not going to do it. He's not going to want anything back. To which Sipora said, well, you didn't do anything for me. I was sitting at home. So she's the one that went out, got Moshe Rabbeinu, and invited him back, and brought Moshe, back, Moshe Rabbeinu back with them to be able to have the meal. She was 100% right. He wouldn't have said yes to anybody else, but he said yes to Sipora. I, I guess starting a relationship with her that eventually he married her. The Barbanel says the exact same thing as this Shach, which is super interesting, by the way, because the Barbanel never agrees with Midrashim when it comes to things like this. They just came to draw water. They weren't shepherds. Tzipor was the oldest and the best of them. The Meryl Diskin goes on about that, that she was not the only one who converted. All of them converted, but she was the best out of all of them. Maybe, maybe he suggests, they all came together to draw water because it would be quicker the more people that were there. Maybe, and this makes sense, they didn't want to be around the male Roim those male shepherds the whole time. So they wanted to do whatever they needed to do for their sheep really quickly. So they brought as many people as possible, draw the water as quickly as possible, get their sheep watered, and immediately get out. And that's the idea why they brought seven at the time, but they weren't actually shepherds. That wasn't their job, and they never ended up doing, they never really did that. Because Nihilator asks a great question. He says, why did Lavan, right, he was Zoha to have an unbelievable son-in-law, an unbelievable son-in-law, right, have sons afterward, because he did, he had kids after, we know about the sons that were there right after, that's number two. And number three, become wealthy. Lovin became extremely wealthy. But on the other hand, Yisro, let's think what happened to Yisro over here. Yisro, sorry, did have sons. He had children, B'nai Kani. The B'nai Kani were right there. He did have a great son-in-law, Moshe Rabbeinu, just like Yaakov Vinu de Lovin. But he didn't become wealthy afterward. We don't see any wealth by Yisro. Why wasn't Yisro Zoha to wealth? What was the difference between them that what did Lavan do that Yisro didn't do? Now, simple answer to that question is that Lavan never threw Yaakov in jail. <laughs> Yisro threw Yaakov in jail, threw Moshe Rabbeinu in jail. But I don't know, putting him to work for the next seven years... I think might be equal to the way the measure said that he was thrown in jail for seven years. So maybe they are equal. And if they are equal, then again, why did Lavan become wealthy, but Moshe Rabbeinu did not? Moshe Rabbeinu didn't become wealthy. Uh, Yisro did not. Why didn't Yisro become wealthy? So Zayin Latorah says the most unbelievable thing. He says, when a Kaddish Baruch rewards you, he rewards you, right, if you do something, 
which happens to be for the right reasons. He'll reward you the way you want to be rewarded. The way you want it. Lovan to Lovan's head, Lovan's mind, there was nothing more important than money. That was the most important thing in the world to him. So when he did what he did, even if he didn't have the greatest intentions, but he got Yaakovinu, he gave Yaakovinu Parnassah, and made sure that Yaakovinu had his wives, and gave him the Shvatim of Klau Yisrael. So he got rewarded with what exactly, exactly what he wanted. What did he want? Wealth. He got wealth. What did Yisrael want more than anything in the world? He wanted to understand God. He spent his whole life being a priest. And even though he was messed up in what he was a priest for, he spent his whole life trying to find out who God was, where God is, etc. So he was rewarded with just that. He found God. He got a great son in law out of it. He got sons out of it. But he was rewarded with the exact mita that he wanted. He wanted more than anything else to find a Kodesh Baruch Hu. So what did he do? He got a Kodesh Baruch Hu. That's exactly what he got. He eventually found Hashem, became a Ger Tzedek, and had grandchildren that were on the Lishka Sagazis, that were in Sanhedrin, in Klau Yisrael. That's exactly what he wanted in the first place. There's an Arugas of Bosom over here, but it's not for us right now. Now, the Sforno says, Moshe Rabbeinu did nothing but save them. He helped them, helped these daughters, and made sure. He didn't punish the shepherds for what they did. He just drove them off, but he didn't beat them up. He didn't kill them. He just drove them off and said, that's not right what you're doing. Save the daughters, and that's that. Where Victor Miller says, you see from Moshe Rabbeinu that he had a strength of character. He was a strong character. He knew what was the right thing to do and what was the wrong thing to do. And he wanted to do the right thing. He, it was very important to him to do exactly what was the right thing. He didn't have to fight. He just stood up and he showed the shepherds, like, I'm willing to fight for these people. And the shepherd said, Dude, well, we don't want to fight you. We don't have anything to do with you. If he's 10 almost tall, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's this 15-foot guy who's standing out in front of them. They're just like, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> we'll back off. We have no problem with that whatsoever. That's how Victor Miller said it. But the Medjachifet says that's the exact reason why the Gemara, why the Chumash goes through this story. Moshe had a strong heart. He's willing to help anyone. And think about it. It's almost crazy. We have three stories in a row of Moshe Rabbeinu helping someone. We have the first story of he sees an Egyptian man beating up a Jewish guy. And he gets involved even though he doesn't need to. He gets involved. And when he has to kill somebody over it, he kills him. He kills him. He gets himself involved in a situation that really he didn't have to because he felt the responsibility of don't beat up that guy. What are you beating that guy up for? He sees two guys fighting, Dustin Aviram, the very next day. Two guys fighting and immediately goes up to him and says, Why are you hitting each other? He feels the need, the responsibility to get up and help. He feels that need. And then you have this third case where he sees daughters of Yisro being abused by these Roim and he gets involved. He stands there and he says, what's going on here? You can't let this happen. The Torah says these three stories to tell us what kind of a person he was. Now listen to this. This is important. I told you already he was the king of Kush for 40 years. Wouldn't that have been a better story to tell? about his leadership abilities and his reason for being the leader of Klai Yisrael, that's a great thing to say. Shouldn't you go into the saying, look at who Moshe Rabbeinu was. He was the leader of Kush for 40 years. This is your leader, Klai Yisrael. This is your person. Wouldn't that be the smartest thing to do? But no, not one word about him being the king of Kush. We only tell you that when something bad happens, Moshe Rabbeinu is willing to put himself in there. He's willing to put himself in the fray, 
argue and get involved. That's the sign of a true leader. Not somebody who's just a king over somebody else, because who knows what a king does. But when somebody's willing to help other people when they're down, the downtrodden, the people are being yelled at, the people are can't help themselves, you're willing to put yourself in that position, you're willing to put put yourself in there, that's the leader of Klal Yisrael. And that's the reason why it's mentioned. And I like that. That that makes sense to me why we put it over there. That Sora Moore talks about that. Rav Chaim Brisker was once asked, what is the purpose of a Rav? And he said, to save the oppressed from those oppressing them. That's the line. That's the whole purpose of a rav. The whole purpose of a rav. Not to dive in in front of the tzibor or to give an inspiring speech or maybe to to be able to... It's just this. To save the oppressed from the oppressor. That's the idea behind what a rav is supposed to do. Now, the Ramban says what usually happened was that the shepherds would come first. They'd give the water to their sheep. They'd take care of their sheep itself. And then afterward, Yisro's daughters would come in. After they were all done, they were finished with everything, they would water theirs. And this day, for whatever reason, Yisro's daughters came early. They were there a little bit early. So they drew their water first. And that's when the shepherds came and said, hey, what's going on here? We go first. You guys go next. Right? We're going to go and we're going to draw water. We're going to take that water for our sheep. You can draw more water for your sheep later. Well, Shabino saw that. He said, that's not fair. He said, you're right. They shouldn't have come first. You're right. 100%. They shouldn't have done that. That, that was a mistake on their part. But they already drew the water. And it's women. Allow the women to have the water that they already drew. And then you'll take after them. What's the big deal? To which the shepherd said, we don't have any time. Our time is precious. And Moshe Ben got up by Gorshim and drove them away. And said, it's not the right thing. That's not the right thing to do. That's how the Ramban said, right? You guys wait this time. I know it's not, doesn't seem fair, but something happened. It wasn't their fault. You guys wait for us. And that's exactly why when they came back, Ru'el said, you guys are so early. Not understanding, because usually they were waiting for the shepherds to finish, and then they would go in. Right, this time they came before the shepherds even went. That was the shocker. That was the idea behind it. The Bechor Shore, the Tour, and the Rabbeinu Bechaya all say there wasn't enough water even after that because some of the sheep of the shepherds started drinking already. So Moshe Rabbeinu then drew more water and filled up the troughs, said Sipora and the other daughters, so their sheep would be finished off. That's the idea behind it. According to the Dazakanim, they spilled out the water because again, they were excommunicated, right? So they actually spilled out the water and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu had to re, re, I guess, draw all the water for them. The Rosh says maybe they closed off the water supply so the daughters wouldn't be able to get anything. They tried chasing them away. That's when Moshe Rabbeinu got involved. The Rokeach brings on a Medrash. Now, I, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not positive I understand that. I looked up the Medrash Rabbah, the Medrash Tanchuma. The Rokeach says it in the Shach. It's also brought down by one of the Sefer, and I forgot where. I'm not positive I'm reading this correctly. I could read it in one of two ways. I'm not positive which one is which. Either the following. They tried to do something inappropriate to the girls, and the girls then screamed out loud so that the shepherds were thrown in the water troughs by other people. And then when they tried getting into a fight with them, that's when Moshe Rabbeinu stepped in, stopped it, and made sure the girls were all safe from that point on. Or it sounds like the roim, the shepherds, threw the girls inside the water, and Moshe Rabbeinu saved them from the water. They were drowning in the water, and Moshe Rabbeinu grabbed them, took them out of the water, and then fought off the shepherds. So I'm not sure which is which. I don't know. The, the Rokeach says it extremely strangely. I don't know if the Roim were thrown into the water or the girls were thrown in the water. I can't tell if Moshe Rabbeinu saved them by keeping the Roim away or by taking the Roim and throwing them literally into the water. I don't know exactly which one it is. Either way, there was a 
fight and that's that. The Imam Loi says it a little bit differently that they wanted to do an Aveiro with them so they came to help. There were others that helped and then the water supply was close up. It was a little bit of a combination of all of these ideas of the rush, the Dasakanim, the Rukeach and the Shach. But either way, regardless, something happened that was inappropriate and that's what they did. And now we get to our last part, which is why the masculine and feminine in masculine terms? Why did it switch from one to the other? I'm going to have to do it quick because we only have like six minutes left, seven minutes left. So let's go really quickly over here. The Ibn Ezra wonders if number one, what's Vayagorshun when they kicked them out? It should be Vayagorshun. So again, I have 10 answers altogether. The Ibn Ezra answers because Vayoshiun, right, is written with a nun at the end because you don't want to have two words with a nun at the end, one after the other. That would sound strange, so therefore we put a mem, then a nun, and then a mem at the end. That's how the Ibn Ezra puts it. It sounds like it's a dikduk issue. The Avi Ezri says, I have no idea how to understand this Ibn Ezra. The Avi Ezri is the parish on the Ibn Ezra. He says, I have no idea how to understand this Ibn Ezra. No matter how you look at it, there's something weird over here. He thinks it means that you you would make a drusha if there was a nun at the end, and there are no drushas here, so therefore you should put a mem at the end. It's a really weird Ibn Ezra, and the Avi Ezri does not explain it very well at all. At the end, he just says, no matter what you think, this Ibn Ezra is strange. I, I, I don't have a good answer for what the Ibn Ezra means by that, but that is answer number one. It's a dikduk thing. The rush says Vayigorshum is going on the water, not on the women. He drove them out, meaning not them. He drove the, they drove the water out. They stopped the water supply. That's the idea of the rush before. That's the idea behind it. They put mud and clay to stop the water from flowing so that the women wouldn't be able to give water to their sheep, right? And that's the idea behind it. So that's the rush itself. The, Moshe Rabbeinu came along and the water crashed through the blockages that they made because he was a child of the Avos. The water came through. They were able to get the water and that's the idea. But that's Vayigorashum is going on the water, not on the shepherds themselves, not on the women themselves. Miamalais says, like we said up above, Vayigor Shum is going on the shepherds. The shepherds knocked out the other shepherds. Remember I said there might have been other people, they, they screamed out loud the girls, and other shepherds came and drove out the shepherds. Vayigor Shum. And they drove out the shepherds. And then Moshe Rabbeinu helped them by drawing the water for the sheep. But that's why he says, Vayigor Shum. That's how the Miam Lois puts it over there. And that's that. It could be that Moshe Rabbeinu tried to make peace with everyone. So he gave everyone water. He drew water for all the sheep, including the shepherds who were already kicked out because he didn't want those sheep to lose out because their shepherds were gone. So he drew water for all of them. And that's why he says, so numb at the end. Because it's both the girls and the shepherds, all their sheep together. That's how he says it. The Alshech gives a similar answer. We don't have to get into it. It's the same basic idea of what the Tznius was, that they were willing to wait and stay away from the shepherds themselves. But that's that. Rav Hirsch says it's purposely switched. Rav Shamshon for Hirsch says, Mem and Nun and Mem, the reason why is to show you that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do this out of chivalry. He wasn't doing this because there were girls. Oh, we have to help a bunch of girls that need a little bit of help. He would have done this if they were guys. He would have done it no matter what. He felt that somebody was being oppressed. He got in and he saved them. Like we said before, the whole purpose of what a rub is in the first place, of what a person is supposed to do. So he got him and he saved them. Says reverse. The men and no, are interchangeable because it didn't matter if they were women, men, or whatever it was. He was willing to help them. He would have done the exact same thing had it been men instead of women. 100%. The Osnayim Latour says it's going on the sheep. Vayigor Shum is the sheep. They drove away the sheep. 
the girls had to follow. But they didn't drive away the women, they drove away the sheep. That's the idea of what it's referring to. The Ganrava suggests that anyone who takes on a job of men is known by a masculine term. Since these girls were acting as shepherds, they're known as men, and therefore it's a masculine term. Okay, so so far, yeah, what are you going to say, Dave? But one of the words is in feminine. Yeah. Well, by Rachel, it doesn't say... The wording by Rachel is a little bit weird. It is a little weird. The word roe appears by... She was a roa, right? And it doesn't say the word shepherds over here. But since they were doing the job of what a shepherd would normally do to feed the sheep, therefore it's known as masculine term. I thought you were going to ask me because the middle word is the word Vayakamosha Vayoshi Un. And that's feminine. It should be Vayoshi Aim, right? That he saved them. He doesn't answer the question, but it's a Gan Rava. There's another answer. The Panim Yafos has a very long answer. It's a Hafla, right? Rapinchas Horowitz. Brilliant answer. The Torah Shlema talks about it in number 144, and that's that. But I will tell you, not everybody holds that these shepherds were evil people. It's not everybody that says, like, they were evil people and they were just trying to get rid of them. Then Nitziv says that the shepherds were upset because the women were taking too long. And they claimed the needs of the Rabin are, I, I guess, trump the needs of the Yachid. Look, you girls, we understand you're trying to take care of your father's sheep, but we have the sheep of the entire town. It's not fair for you to take so long to feed your sheep when we have the needs of the entire town here. So they weren't evil people. They were saying to them, and it made sense, like, you have to wait for us to give water to the sheep of the town because the robin takes the place, takes, I guess, precedence over the people of the Yucca themselves. That's why they wanted to fight them, the girls, to which Moshe had got involved and said, I'll take care of it all. And he drew water for everyone so quickly that all the sheep were able to be fed in a very short amount of time. So he not only saved the girls, although the girls themselves were fighting for themselves, he saved everybody from any fight. He said, I'll take care of it from now on. And that's exactly what he did. It's possible, the Malbum says, that the people made a deal back then, that all the shepherds had to come together and, you know, like by Yaakovinu's time where they had that big rock, and they only rolled off the rock, right? And that's when all the shepherds would have said nobody would cheat and take more water than their friend. When they saw the Benos Midyan, the Benos Yisro, taking water, they said, wait, you're not allowed to do that. We purposely don't take water without anyone else there so that nobody's cheating and taking more water than respect. And that makes sense. I'm sure this area did not have a lot of water. So they said, you can't take too much. To which Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'll make sure that everything's going to be okay. He gave four times. He said they're the daughters of the priest, so therefore they deserve to go first. This obviously would be the opinion, the Malbim would go with the opinion that he still was the actual priest of theirs and not kicked out. They were women and not men. who They can't fight for themselves. That was his second claim. His third claim was the water was already drawn anyway, therefore it officially belongs to them, even if they did it, you know, they, they did it at the wrong time. Nonetheless, officially it belongs to them. Now, number four, that only applies to shepherds. It doesn't apply to individuals. Individuals are allowed to take the little bit of water they might need for themselves, but it makes sense that shepherds who have a lot of sheep wouldn't be able to do stuff like that. There's one more lesson over here. We're going to end with this right over here. It says the following. It says, It's point about Rabbi Yitzhak Zilbershin Alinu Shabach. Moshe saved Zipporah and her sisters. So in the future, when Moshe was in trouble, being chased by a snake, right? When the snake was eating him, by Yifkeshayu Hashem, by Yivakesh Hamiso, a Baruch wanted to kill him, and Zipporah took a rock, gave a bris milah to her son, right? And therefore the snake stopped trying to be no etc. So if Moshe Rabbeinu saved Zipporah, in the end, Zipporah saved Moshe Rabbeinu. There's a great story, the Rav Chaim Kreisworth. Rav Chaim Kreisworth, once the, one of the Rosh Yeshiva of Skoki Yeshiva, eventually became the Rav of, um, in Europe. 
for a long time in Brussels. Was it Brussels for a while? I forgot where exactly. Antwerp, in Antwerp, and is the Rosh Shiva of Merkaz Torah, from Merkaz Torah in, in Yerushalayim. So Rav Kreisworth, when he was a bachar, he learned, learned in yeshiva they didn't have enough beds. So there were always bachar that had to sleep on the floor. At one point, there was a boy that came in. So Rav Kreisworth was an older bachar by that point, so he got a bed. He had a very nice bed, right? Everybody else, was, you know, there were some people that got beds, some people on the floor. There was a bachar that came in. His name was Rabbi Yeshayla Mishnah. Yeshayla Mishnah. Why was he called Yeshayla Mishnah? He was blind, and he learned Mishnayis Balpeh. That's what he did every time. He learned Mishnayis over and over and over Balpeh. So Rav Kreisworth didn't want him sleeping on the floor, so he gave him his bed, and he began sleeping on the floor, right? It wasn't easy, but he did it. He said, all right, I'll, I'll sleep on the floor. And he gave Rosh his bed, and that's that. When the Nazis came, they had a list of every single bachar in this yeshiva. So they took all the yeshiva boys out, and they lined them up one by one, brought them to a wall, and they shot them. Every single one, one by one. A terrible, terrible thing, right? So... When I came up, said Ruchain Kreisworth, and he said this at a dinner, I forgot what it was, in a chesed dinner, right? When he, when I came up, when my turn came, so I went up, the, the Nazi took one look at me, right? And he started staring at me. And I was saying to myself, please, HaKadosh Baruch save me, please, HaKadosh Baruch save me, save me in the schus of the chesed that I gave up my bed for that bachar. So that's what I said to myself. And the guy was staring at me, and he finally said, I can't shoot you. You, you're too good looking. That's what Zorchayim cries with. You're too good looking. I, I don't want to kill you. So he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to shoot the wall right above your head. I'm going to miss by inches. But I'm going to shoot the wall right above your head. As soon as I shoot, run. Just run. I won't hit you. Run. Run straight that way. Run straight to the forest. By the time I get my bearings and realize that you ran away, it'll be too late and you'll get away. Okay? Rukhain Karsworth did exactly that. He stood up against the wall. As soon as the guy shot, he ran. Ran. And then he heard screams behind him. He was already able to get into the forest. Eventually, he met up with a bunch of people that were also serving whatever it was. And he said, he said this was absolutely abnormal. But it saved his life. It saved his life. He told this story at a dinner of Ezra Mitzion. He said, do you see what you can accomplish through chesed? Do you see what you could do? He said, my Torah couldn't have saved me from that fate. Surah Chaim Chrysler. The fact that I would be a Rav and a Rosh Hashiva for many, many communities was not going to help in the future. He said, my chesed was able to save me for the next 60 years. Everything I've been able to do in my life is because of that chesed. He said, that's something that I think a person should realize and somebody should recognize that that's what ended up happening when a person does. You do one thing for one other person and the result is they're going to do something right back to you. Sorry, everybody. We'll stop right there.